This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Now we'll be in conversation uh, with the spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice and Correctional Services, Crispin Peary. Uh, we're looking at the directives that have been published by the minister, at least gazetted via his signature there, uh, directions that deal with a variety of, you know, uh, issues that must be adhered to within the court system, but also some cases that need to, need to be expedited, including those that have to do uh, with the public violence that we saw over the last week and a half. So, yeah, we'll just have to make sense of what that uh, what these directions are all about and why they are so important in attempting to achieve justice. Crispin, good morning and welcome to Power Talk. Good morning, Lokona, and good morning to our Power FM listeners. No, thank you for making the time, bro. Uh, perhaps as a starting point, uh, uh, just tell us wh- why these directions and what is it that, uh, as a ministry, you are trying to achieve by way of gazetting them? So you would know that uh, with the advent of COVID-19, a lot of disruptions have happened to a lot of systems. Um, and the judicial system, uh, or the justice system rather itself, has also not been spared. Um, it, it would be very difficult for us to administer justice under the current um, COVID-19 regulations where people are not necessarily allowed to gather um, in our courts, but also, to some extent, we are affected in that um, most of the core staff as well would find themselves victims to COVID-19 indirectly or even sometimes directly. Um, so these directions provide for, amongst other things, the postponement of cases through audiovisual links. Um, interestingly, there's currently a debate around that, uh, the Peter Maritzburg High Court. And um, also they speak to the compilation of a priority role at each court, which will enable courts to prioritize um, the hearing of priority cases. And by priority cases, we include gender-based violence, sexual offenses, corruption cases, cases involving the violation of COVID-19 regulations themselves and cases involving children. Mm. But also, Lukwana, we would have seen that in the past week or so, we've been dealing with cases or matters of um, intense violence and and uh, public disruptions in Guazul Natal and also Gauteng province. And so we have seen that a large volume um, of those indiscretions would find themselves before our courts. So the system then also needs to gear itself up to administer justice in those cases as well. So these directions uh, speak to matters like that. Absolutely, Crispin. Now, when you're saying, you know, some of these matters, the courts must, where applicable or where possible, you know, create a priority role or or, or put them on a separate role of cases, uh, you know, for in cases involving an accused person charged with an offence arising from the incidents of public violence or public disorder are placed. Uh, and I suppose this is all in an attempt to expedite the matters. But uh, how does that how, how does that look like at a practical level for the courts, which at times often cry that they're already overburdened in terms of their court roles? Yeah, so the qualification where necessary and where possible is very important because uh, our understanding is that um, we do want justice to be to be meted out um, in a relatively speedy manner. But in fact, the, the, the perspective that we've gotten from um, the administrators and the role players, which is the NPA, 
and, and uh, magistrates and regional presidents, uh, regional court presidents, is that actually they are able to really deal with these matters. The court roles that are currently there would be able to dispense of a lot of these matters. But they just do need a mechanism to ensure that where they feel that the system is overburdened to some extent, then they create special provisions to ensure that they are still able to, to process these matters uh, on a special role. So as we speak now, um, in some, in some uh, lo- localities, it may not be necessary for them to have a priority role at all. Uh, they will still be able to run these matters within the normal course of their work. Uh, but where possible, sometimes you might find that the volume might increase. Um, and for instance, how this would play out practically is sometimes uh, from a jurisdiction point of view, where you would find that uh, a specific uh, locality would have a high volume of incidents say, relating to public unrest. And what you would want is that, for instance, another locality within the same province would not see so many instances of public unrest. So you would want that jurisdiction, that court in, that, in a different area to be able to still hear the matters and still process um, issues that relate to perhaps, say, if, uh, for, for lack of a better example, let's say we're in Kungunlov mm. um, and Etegwini uh, and doesn't have a high volume of cases. A radical example. Yeah. Uh, but you would want then Etegwini to then say, okay, we, we have a bit of time. Let's, let's hear these matters so that we can dispense justice as, as quickly as we can. Now, Crispin, I mean, some of your courts are closed. As you are saying, you acknowledge that COVID-19 has been devastating. And as the levels of the lockdown regulations go up, the more some of your courts have to, you know, sort of uh, wind down in terms of their activities. How has this affected, if you have any knowledge, the bail application processes for those who have been arrested? I think the number now sits at over 3,000 people that uh, were arrested over these uh, public uh, violent incidents. Uh, look on our courts never shut down um, as as you would know even in the case of a state of emergency one of the the, the non-derogable rights is the right to appear in court and have your matter be heard and, and get justice so the courts will never shut down under any instance um, i mean in the sense of physical appearances no certainly not to say shut down stop working sure. but uh, i know some of your courts do not allow for physical sit-ins and hence why there's this matter now even on our tv screens that's playing virtually precisely yeah no i just needed to clarify that because sometimes yeah. someone would hear it a bit differently um uh, indeed and so what you are seeing is that we we then do have these audiovisual link facilities to ensure that where people are are away the investigation so Normally, when someone appears for bail, some of some of the the elements that that render that is that to some extent the investigation um, from the South African Police Services perspective is not yet complete, or a prosecutor has sought further information. Um, so then the matter would have to be postponed. Um, and where those individuals are within our custody, correctional services, we are able to postpone those matters via audiovisual links. Um, so a court would be linked up to a particular correctional facility and the person would then be remanded to appear at a different date. And I think we've been doing those since the, the advent of COVID, but uh, even before that, but since the advent of COVID, there's been a huge take-up for audiovisual services from judicial officers and our prosecutors, and it's been done with relative success. Um, where the difficulty does come in is, for instance, where for in- people perhaps who are not in our custody, mm. um, how, how they would get remanded. And I think 
Um, a lot of work is being done with the South African police services, but also the individuals that are in custody for South African police services and the NPA on a case-by-case basis would make an analysis whether uh, these type of individuals need to appear before the courts at all, or maybe they could be fined on the spot. So those are the type of considerations that prosecutors and, and the South African police services would take into consideration. And this is important because uh, let's say, for instance, we find uh, Ukoko somewhere was found looting uh, two liter of coke. Um, the, the judicial officers, rather, or prosecutors and South African police services have to quickly make a decision whether this is a type of case that we really want to be spending um, our time on or should we be pursuing other important cases um, which would really, really get to the nub of where the problem is. So those types of decisions are being made on a, on a constant basis. And it's not, this is not to say that uh, the case of a gogo looting a coke is insignificant mm. um, because that in and of itself is a crime. Um, and, and that's what we must be clear about. But also how we administer justice is equally critical to the scale of the crime that is being committed. And, and Crispin, these are crimes committed outside of the lockdown regulations, which are quite clear in their specific terms as to what uh, you know what uh, transgression would equate to some uh, you know fine, and even the fines they are stipulated in terms of what they would look like. So you are suggesting that um, these these ones, though they may be different and not part of the lockdown regulations, uh, but it, it is still within the NPA's uh, you know authority, as you say in number twenty two, that the NPA uh, where. The accused is charged with a less serious offence in respect of which an admission of guilt is permissible and justified. Fix an appropriate amount as an admission of guilt in respect of the accused person concerned. I mean, Crispin, some of the people who were seen out there looting are really, really indigent citizens. What does a fine look like in terms of quantum figures? Yeah, it's also done on a, on a case-by-case basis. Um, and and you're quite correct. It, these would be indigent figures, uh, individuals. But uh, on the other side of it is that we also need to create a balance and restore a balance in society to say, whilst this may be your personal circumstances, um, this is not the type of society that we would want to live in where we would just want to help ourselves to things that do not belong to us. Um, and so that's the, the, the interplay that would take place. And it's something that is is done on, on a case-by-case basis. I, I wouldn't be able to say to you, uh, Coco gets fined 15 rand and, and the Crispin would get fined 6,000 rand. I think each case gets viewed on its merits um, and, and the decision is made in that regard. Okay, my guest is Crispin Piri. He is the spokesperson uh, for the Ministry of Justice and Correctional Services. Looking at some uh, directions gazetted by the ministry uh, insofar as court proceedings and processes are concerned, but also uh, the greatest point of real interest uh, being, you know, some uh, methods being put in place to expedite those cases uh, that emanate from the public uh, violence uh, that we saw over the last few days. If you want to ask him a question or put some comment to him, uh, that line is zero eight six one nine eight seven triple zero, and uh, we will make sure that you are able to have your say. And Crispin, I already have Junior on the line. Junior, good morning. Good morning, my brother, and good morning to Crispin. How are you? I'm fine. You know, the Department of Justice is also making a very serious blunder. Remember, prior to COVID-19, 
and the subsequent, I mean, eruption of violence pursuant, uh, I mean, subsequent to the incarceration of President Zuma. The justice system was already burdened. I mean, correctional facilities were full. Mm. And most of the people who are in correctional facilities, many of them, they are there because of they don't have resources, I mean, to hire lawyers. Some of them, they are on bail. They don't have money to pay bail. So I was suggesting that taking the normal, I mean, criminal, I mean, justice approach to prosecute these people, it will be a waste of resources. He knows very well that they don't have capacity. They were supposed to open special jurisdiction for peace. And those courts must take an approach of educating these people against their constitutional obligations, more especially on the part of responsibilities, and utilize that particular moment to, to understand the psychology behind, I mean, violence. And then spend money on people who instigated, I mean, this, I mean, uh, interaction. Uh, I, I, I don't think that normal criminal approach will work in this instance. You look what happened in Venezuela. Immediately uh, in Colombia, when FARC, I mean, rebels come to the table, I mean, there was an understanding that some of these people, they were actually manipulated by political leaders. Mm. Exactly what transpired here in South Africa. Exactly what happened in, 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 in Rwanda. So we need a special jurisdiction for peace. Those are specialized courts where you sit down with these people. Because of if ever you take the criminal, I mean, road approach, it means that we are further criminalizing I mean, the poor, you have asked a question. Most of these people are indigenous. If ever someone go and steal a bag of milli milli, where is going to get 2,000 rand to pay a fine? Mm. Are you saying that these people must remain in prison? It is not going to work. The criminal justice system needs to be revamped. It needs to be capacitated. It needs massive resources. And those resources shouldn't go in order to manage the poorest of the poor. It must go there to punish people who are engaged in shameless acts of corruption because of those resources those which were supposed to go towards industrialization, building factories and everything, are stolen away by the people who instigate this violence so that out of the chaos they should be able to run away from justice. Okay. Junior, thank you so much for dialing in. Nina, good morning. Hi, good morning to you and your guest. Look, um I think my point actually follows nicely after Justice's point. Because the simple issue is in fact that you don't have resources. Mm. So given that there's an acknowledgement, which has been made you know, an infinite number of times, it's not up for question, there are not enough resources, there's actually a decision to be made about whether you follow up Gogos, who stole a piece of bread, because you think that's also criminal, and people who actually, at the very least, engaged in insurrection, at the most were interested in a coup and did engage in arson. Arson, which means that, you know, thousands of people lose their jobs. And, of course, I mean, the, you know, how South Africa is now viewed internationally has been corrupted, you know, for decades. I mean, we viewed in a totally different way. So actually, there has to be some strategic understanding of what's valuable and what is idiotic. And I really would like a response to that. The issue is who committed arson? Who made those flames happen? Okay. Are they part of the government? Are they part of governmental bureaucracy? We've obviously heard the discussions over the last sort of few days as we try to unravel what's happening. There are people who should be at 
attended to, and there are people where it's a, an idiotic waste of time. Okay. Thanks very Lena, much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Uh, Crispin, let me just take Dumisani, and then I'll go to a short break, come back and give you an opportunity to respond. Dumisani, good morning. Yes, good morning. Just a quick question. I just want to understand, NPA, do they have a capacity to speedily uh, prosecute uh, poor people? Do they have capacity to speedily mm. prosecute criminals in suits? That's what I want to understand. And secondly, when it comes to Phoenix, are they also going to speedily prosecute those Indians who happen to be mostly business people running security companies so that the poor people can see that the justice is balanced in this country? Are they going to do that? I just want to know that. Okay. Thank Dumisani, you. thank you so much. Peter, let's take that short break and come back to Crispin for the response. Power Talk with Luke Honamuni. Weekdays 9 a.m. to noon on Power 98.7. Indeed, I'm in conversation with Crispin Pierre, spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice and Correctional Services, looking at some directions that were sent out there by the ministry. Part of those directions talk to uh, the public violence that we saw over the last few days and uh, really how those matters can be handled uh, where possible in order to expedite uh, their resolution. Crispin, you've heard our three callers and uh, please respond to them. Thank you, Dukona. Let me start with Dumisan. Um, and I want to just address, uh, um, to address the underlying sentiment of his, his comment. Um, firstly, the justice system does prosecute without fear or favor and doesn't look at the color of individuals. Um, but most importantly, it's important for us to understand how we arrive at the prosecution stage. Mm. We, the NPA doesn't wake up and say, today we are prosecuting Lukon. Um, that happens as a result of an investigation that is done by the South African Police Services. They collect information, they collect evidence, um, and they create a case and build that case and present it to the NPA and say that we believe we have a case um, of Lukona committing X offense and assess it and see if this matter can be brought before the courts before, beyond a reasonable doubt for prosecution. And the prosecutor would then present that case to the best of their ability. So it's important for us to, to understand that there's a very important legwork that is done by the South African police services um, first before prosecutors are put before the fore. And that answers uh, the questions of uh, um, Nina and, and Junior, and mm. to some extent, the question of NPA capacity. Um, they, before the NPA gets involved, South African police services are doing a lot of important work first. But also, um, I agree a lot with Junior and, and Nina. We are on the same page. The criminal justice system does need to target the most heinous crimes. And this is constantly a consideration. For example, in day-to-day life, outside of COVID, outside of public violence, um, the question that the, the prosecutors would always want to venture into is, do we have a, for instance, the, the petty drug pusher on the corner, or do we have the kingpin, the one who has orchestrated the entire system? Mm. So prosecutors are always grappling with that type of question. So it's not new. However, uh, from a criminal justice system point of view, you need to cast the net as widely as possible. This is because a crime is a crime. Arson and theft um, or looting 
are crimes. They may not be crimes in the public eye on equal scale, but they are crimes nonetheless. And so the system does need to respond to that. But the question is how it responds to it. And so that's why we speak of, in some instances, um, the administration of fines. And in some instances, we speak of an incarceration for life or an incarceration for 15 years and so on. Um, and of course, ensuring that you incarcerate someone who admits guilt, uh, no, not sorry, if you, if ensuring that you, you meet out justice to someone who admits guilt um, is less administratively cumbersome than targeting an instigator and so on. And that's where we want most of our administrative resources to be, where it is cumbersome. Chasing the instigator is certainly a priority, but equally meeting out justice where crime has been committed is also important. So there's no lesser of two evils in this instance. A crime is a crime, and that must be dealt with. The only question is how we go about it and how we ensure that in each instance, the appropriate level of justice is meted out to ensure that people are deterred from doing this type of things again in both instances, whether it's arson or whether it's, it's dealing a two-liter coke. I mean, Crispin, uh, right on that point, I'm glad you raised it. I was talking to Umaga the other day last week, you know, just to understand from the NPA's point of view how they are going to be handling some of this. And, you know, they're saying that they'll probably invoke the very, you know, you know topical and problematic uh, common purpose, uh, you know, charge. And I suppose one may ask, how fair is that in terms of differentiating? Because if you are looking at, you know, a a looted store but somebody was actually arrested without having taken anything as yet versus somebody who was arrested and having taken something probably at home and they were coming back for the second round a common purpose wouldn't it seem a bit too harsh where do you find the leveling field uh, interesting you raise that actually because you know I, I actually wanted to make this point as well in the videos that i saw for instance of people gathering the loot uh, and as much as we are focusing on the Gogo, you know, I saw people uh, with four by fours, uh, expensive cars. Um, and, and so that's why it's important for this thing to be looked at from a case by case point of view. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, you will find that you can separate. You could see that, no, this individual actually was purely opportunistic and was participating in a crime. They knew what they were doing. It, it was not necessarily a crime of survival. And, and I think the prosecutors would be able to, to shift that out. Um, but in instances where um, there are many people in a space and, and, and it's a bit um, murky around who exactly started the, the loot, but we all know that everyone benefited from the loot, that's where the doctrine of common purposes may, may be appropriate. Um, and, and it is a common uh, feature in our criminal justice system to where there is an instance where many people are involved in a crime. And that's, that's the test, whether there are many people involved in a crime. Um, that would then be the appropriate tool to ensure that justice is dispensed, um, charging them under the doctrine of common purpose. Okay. Crispin, let's leave it there this morning, but thank you so much for making time for us here on Power Talk. Thank you very much, and thank you to the listeners for the excellent question. Thank you, Crispin Peary, spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice and Correctional Services. That brings that conversation to an end. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za.
or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.